Welcome to the Infinite Spark of Being podcast. My name is Keith Welsh, and in this episode, I'm going to talk to you about a practice of mine that I believe has allowed me to rewrite aspects of my subconscious and has allowed me to experience life differently through repetition and writing. But before we get into all that, if you're interested in the book's apparel or you'd like to donate to the podcast through Patreon, go to theinfinitesparkofbeing.com and you can find all of the links there. So let's get started. first consistent or devoted practice with a mantra was with the Maha Mantra, or what some call the Hare Krishna Mantra. What I found was that through chanting the names of God hundreds of times a day, my mind was constantly thinking of the names of God or Krishna. I found that I was considering Krishna in my affairs. I was simply always thinking of Krishna. So Uh, When we're considering mantras as mind protection, repeating the names of God was protecting or guarding my mind from wandering away from Krishna. I found, uh, to this day, I find that that in times of distress, my mind begins uh, repeating the Maha Mantra, and I tend to feel protected and soothed by it. Very interesting. So another example would be by repeating Omane Padme Hom, for instance, we are protecting the mind from becoming uncompassionate towards others. So if you believe in the Chinreze practice, Chinreze's mantra is Omane Padme Hom, and you're doing that sadhana, then you begin to consider the benefits of compassion, etc. So you see how this works. Um, One time I asked Lama Losan, why do we do certain amounts of rounds on a mala and during certain practices. And he said, because that's how long it takes you to remember. And that really stuck with me because it showed me that, yes, these are uh, these, these mantras are ancient and powerful, and they've been repeated by millions of people for thousands of years with the same intention, which is a powerful thing. But there's also a neurological effect taking place. We are repeating them with a particular intention and creating new neural pathways associated with these ancient sounds and the intentions that come along with them. Now, I realize that for some of you, you get turned off when it seems as though I'm attempting to demystify these things by bringing neurology into it. But the truth of the matter is that for some of us, having mystical experiences uh, or unexplainable experiences has been at times unsettling. And we'd like to find some sort of an explanation for it. Um, This is also a way of removing the ego from the experience. I mean, I can't tell you how many people have reached out to me over the years with an account of a mystical experience that inevitably ends with them being very special. (laughs) So you see the problem there. Um, Also, uh, something else that I always want to remind you of This body and the mind that comes with it are the work of the soul. Refining and working with it as the interface that the soul is using to work through its stuff on earth, on this plane, is the spiritual practice. It's the work. 
It's a deeply spiritual life that we live in these bodies as human beings. So um, fast forward a number of years, um, I began to have an interest in Western occultism and also what is commonly referred to as the power of positive thinking movement that uh, I guess started in the 1800s. Um, and another interest of mine is these, uh, or are these authors like um, that wrote about the power of positive thinking that uh, kind of older in the, I want to say the 30s and 40s, I don't know, um, Napoleon Hill and Neville Goddard. Um, and books that I could recommend on both. Neville Goddard, I highly recommend his book titled Feeling is the Secret. And uh, Napoleon Hill, obviously, he wrote Think and Grow Rich. And a lot of people dismiss that as a money book or a business book. If that's the case, yeah, think again. Um, that is a deceptively esoteric and occult teaching uh, definitely give it a second read. So the reason I became interested in both occultism and the power of positive thinking movement is because that's where the whole idea of affirmations, manifestation, and this law of attraction thing are rooted. And it's all essentially magic. It's, it's in the same uh, world as witchcraft. And this all started oddly enough for me when a boss that I once had gave all of us employees the secret on, on CD to listen to. Um, it was a company that was being driven into the ground by the owner's son. And it was the owner's belief that if we all simply believed hard enough and affirmed it, we could save the company, which is all fine and good. But, you know, a great start would be just sending your son to rehab. And, you know, a crippling pill addiction was probably more to blame than bad juju. Um, anyway, even though I thought and still do think that the secret is largely just a glorified infomercial for these authors that offered no techniques, no solutions, um, it made some interesting points, or at least some of the authors made interesting points. And one of them was, of course, Michael Beckwith. And I know I've mentioned him before, uh, and that quote of his that I absolutely love, energy flows where the attention goes. Um, I love it. Anyway, he's a minister in the New Thought Movement, at least I believe New Thought Church, New Thought Movement. I'm not sure. Well, uh, anyway, this is all kind of, it, it led me to uh, the subject of mind metaphysics and the belief in the power of the mind. Um, now, this topic <laughs> comes with a lot of potentially uh, dangerous ideas, in my opinion, but I'm going to attempt to explain to you uh, how I understand the things that I can get down with, and I'm just going to leave the rest of it alone. So understanding that the subconscious mind is the operating system that shows us the world, it's my understanding that we can train the subconscious to use different patterns of thought, different patterns of perception, and we can do this by using the conscious mind's fantasy and imagination feature to imprint new ideas into the subconscious. And this, of course, always takes me back to the Neville Goddard quote that, I, that I've used previously. Subconscious impressions create the condition of your world. Again, you see what you're looking for. And if I'm looking for difficulty, I'll find it. Energy flows where the attention goes, right? Um, I also find that my self-concept and my self-esteem directly affect the way I see the world and my place in it. Uh, at times when I thought the least of myself, 
when I was uh, my when I was kind of in a cold uh, place in my head, then I saw the world as a cold, dark place. Um, as my self-esteem improved, as my self-concept improved, I found that the world was much more uh, lovely than I originally thought. And a lot of that shift came with spiritual practice uh, in addition to the practice I'll go over today. So I find the best way to explain it is, uh, is this. If I'm on one side of a river and what I want is on the other side of the river, I need a bridge to get to it. Um, in my mind, I imagine a bridge made of wooden planks. And each of those planks is a characteristic, a personality trait. Why would it be a personality trait? Because regardless of the material possession I would like to acquire, if I have no patience, grit, stick to and I lack the ability to stay focused and disciplined, I'll never acquire it. And that goes for everything from material possessions to shifts in personality and character. So in my opinion, the best way to start working with this practice and to understand it is to start using it to change pieces of our personality that might not be helpful in reaching our goals. Um, oh, and remember, always remember, your personality doesn't exist, so don't be attached to it. It's all just a relative tool for getting by in the world. That's all. So let it go. <laughs> Uh, now, I've had a lot of clients report success with this work. Um, they start to have a different experience in the world, and not because the world changed, but because they changed their mind. And since we experience the world through the mind, when the mind changes, our world changes. We perceive it differently. Remember, perception is a cognitive faculty of the mind, and the mind is the subtle body. The interface that the soul is using to interact with this plane is the mind. And how it interacts with the body is very important. It all starts in the mind. So, you know, we've all heard of, um, of positive affirmations. I mean, you know, Instagram's filled with them. And if you're anything like me, you've rolled your eyes a time or two. But the truth is that these are mantras. These are incantations. And according to the almighty Wikipedia oracle. Uh, an incantation is a spell, a charm, uh, an enchantment, or a bewitchery, is a magical formula intended to trigger a magical effect on a person or objects. The formula can be spoken, sung, or chanted, and incarnation can also be performed incantation. I said incarnation. An incantation, I, I may have said incarnation a hundred times. An incantation can also be performed during ceremonial rituals or prayers. Well, uh, my belief uh, is that the person or object that I'm trying to influence should always and forever be me, my mind the lens through which I view others and the world at large. Perception is reality. So I'm going to go back to my reincarnation example because it's impossible to prove concretely. Um, it's my mind and it has changed my life for the better. But, you know, I cannot prove it. It is only a belief. But it's a belief where I use certain words uh, that means something to me to fold the concept into my subconscious and make it part of my perception. Uh, you know, this is another example of how language is important. 
The words we use matter. Now, the concept of reincarnation that I subscribe to uh, leaves me with the understanding that we have all been mother, father, sister, brother, cousin, aunt, best friend, and at the least old friends, right? Well, for me, the idea of old friends means something. I feel it. So when I sit in a room full of people and I look around thinking the words old friends or consider the idea that they've all been my mother, I feel a closeness with them. Uh, now, my motivation for this uh, was, is um, always to cultivate compassion. Um, I wanted to feel more compassionate towards others, especially strangers, and not just strangers that fit a certain criteria, but all strangers. And this is a big ask for someone like me who's predisposed towards snarkiness and anger. <laughs> I wanted compassion badly, bad enough to work hard for it. So um, I used persistent conscious effort, as Neville Goddard would say, to get the idea folded into my mind. And, you know, it's not perfect, but I'm vastly better than the way I was. I feel better. Um, I found that in working with this idea consistently and not just when it's convenient, I felt a closeness with absolute strangers and in turn, they have felt a closeness to me, which has worked out well in the, uh, in my line of work. Um, but why would others feel that? Well, they feel it because I present it. I internally, I, be I believe it, right? Not just intellectualizing it, but realizing it. It's a realization. That belief results in an open-heartedness, a tenderness, you know, and I've worked it into my subconscious. And I used the conscious mind's imagination and fantasy feature to impress this pattern um, of perception uh, or feeling into the subconscious. So what was the method of folding this into my subconscious? Now, remember, Certain words mean something for me. So for instance, the word mother means something to me. It's a symbol. Remember that. Mother is a symbol. The mind uses symbols to tell the body how to feel. Everything is a symbol. Remember it. Uh, so when I think of mother, I'd see my own mother in my mind. I'd feel into that vision. Uh, once I could feel it into my body, I would look at others thinking the word mother. So when I do that, I've charged my intention of feeling close to strangers by using a memory or thought that brings about a feeling in the body of closeness. And uh, once the feeling was there in my body, I would direct the thought of mother, my attention to mother onto strangers. You know, men, women, and children, all of them. This is not just woo-woo new age stuff. This works on a neurological level by, you know, folding these feelings in. So notice that, um, you know, I didn't try to get them to see me this way. I worked within myself to see them this way. This is important. Work with your perception. They feel comfortable with me because of my behavior based on my perception. Remember that. It's not about convincing them, you know, it wasn't about or isn't about me convincing them that they have been my mother. It, it's not about that. It's about me. Um, so I'm going to dip slightly into some mystical woo-woo stuff, but first I want to explain something to you again. 
and be sure that you understand it because some of you seem very attached to certain ideas. Okay, um, I'm not trying to kill mysticism. Uh, in a lot of ways, I would consider myself a mystic. The definition of a mystic is a person who seeks by contemplation uh, and self-surrender to obtain unity with or absorption into the deity or the absolute or who believes in the spiritual apprehension of truths that are beyond the intellect. That is the definition of a mystic. So I'm interested in the truth or at least... Uh, as close as I can get, you know, I've had mystical experiences and would like some kind of an explanation. I don't think that's a big deal. Why? Why do I want an explanation? Because I'm interested in the truth, not in experiences. I'm not trying to feel special and magical. I'm trying to understand, interpret, and pass the information on. And I'm trying to do that as best I can. The body and mind are spiritual vehicles for the soul. That is the interface for the soul. The more we can understand and pass on in a way that can be recreated and used, the more we can help each other. At least that's my intention. Um, and it's not that they, whoever they are, are lying to you about the true nature of reality. It's that they don't know and they're scared too. They're also trying to make sense of life in a body that seems irrational and chaotic. So let's get back to this. Um, now I'm going to skirt the edges of chaos magic. I'm not going to get deep into it right now. Um, it's way too vast uh, to get into here, at least not in this episode. But if you're interested in it, do a search on Austin Spare. Um, just to start, just look for Austin Spare, uh, sigil magic, things like that. Um, it'll lead you down quite a rabbit hole. But listen... Please, please, please tread lightly. Do not take this stuff, you know, don't take it lightly. It's, it's not a joke. This stuff is powerful. Your mind is a powerful thing. Do not, uh, do not uh, underestimate it, please. So back to cultivating compassion. And again, compassion is just an example I'm using. This can be a lot of things. So uh, cultivating compassion through this process um, I'm trying to, I was trying to, or am trying to continually cultivate it as an aspect of my personality. And because I wanted and want to be more compassionate, the most compassionate person, when I first started working with this, the most compassionate person I knew was Lama Losong. So, you know, one of the components to the practice that I'm attempting to lay out here is this exercise of feeling or acting. So for instance, I would go to the grocery store or Target or something like that, and I would walk around and do my shopping as if I were Lama Losan, um, as if I were this radiating, compassionate person, or at least my perception and version of one. So I'd smile, I'd say hello, I'd just be super fucking polite. And uh, each person I would see, I would think the word mother, uh, or that's the love of someone's life. That's the center of somebody's universe. Um, so I would do this. I would pretend to feel that way. Um, and again, you know, remember, I've, I'm only passing things on that I've had success with. So I don't know, consider it. It might sound silly, 
I guess that's what I'm feeling self-conscious about is that I'm afraid it sounds silly, but I don't know, man, <laughs> do it. Don't do it. I don't know. Um, but that's how I'd act in public. I'd, I'd act. It's faking it till you make it right. Um, I pretended to be a compassionate person until I was. Remember, behavior is just a, a habit in the subconscious. That's all behaviors are. So why not just, I don't know, do different ones. So uh, let's, let me, let me kind of recap a little bit. First, uh, we have the thought exercise of everyone has been my mother, father, sister, brother, cousin, aunt, and best friend. This is a thought exercise, a philosophical shift in belief. Belief is philosophical. And, um, you know, at first the belief will feel incongruent and that's fine. That's because the mind isn't used to the belief yet. Uh, the second step, act like you believe it. Act like someone who might embody this belief. Walk, talk, drive, whatever, like someone who believes this belief. Now, the third step is the writing or journaling exercise. I found, um, well, all right, I have journals that are specifically for this, right? And everything that I write in this journal is the truth. It is a fact already in place. The journal is merely reinforcing the truth. Get it? Everything that I write in this journal is the truth. It is a fact already in place. This journal is merely reinforcing the truth. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. So first we need a present tense positive statement dealing with the thing we want. So keeping with compassion, for instance, um, I might say something like, I am an infinite well of compassion for all. This is a fact without question. I am an infinite well of compassion for all. This is a fact without question. And I'll fill up one page of this journal with that statement. I write it slowly on each line um, until it fills up the page. And I'm writing it slowly because I'm writing it with intention and I'm writing it into the subconscious. I imagine that I'm pressing my pen into the subconscious. Now, uh, you can do more than one page, but no less than one. So <laughs> feel what it would be like to be this deeply compassionate person or whatever you're wanting, whatever that thing is. Again, compassion is just an example. Uh, maybe, but if we're dealing with compassion, maybe remember the time when you were extremely compassionate, how good it felt to care so deeply, uh, to maybe do something kind for a person, the look in the person's eye that made you light up, contemplate this while you write, then try to breathe it in. Imagine that you're breathing in that compassion, try to embody it, um, and this is the act of charging the statement. Feel the intention. Now it's a mantra. Now you have a mantra. Walk and whisper it to yourself. Do japa with it. Feel it. Uh, get someplace quiet and alone. Walk and say it with confidence. Speak it out loud on this walk. Talk to yourself about it. How it's the truth. This is how things are, right? Um, sometimes I even bring a mala with me um, that I've designated for this practice. So obviously I don't use my Tulsi mala, but I do have a mala for this. And the mala keeps us on track. It also gives us a number because, you know, 108, 
is a very auspicious number. Now, one other piece to this. Uh, do not ever share these mantras. Uh, these are secret. And why are they secret? Because you don't need someone else sprinkling their shit seeds on your dream field. Feel me? Uh, the, that's... Let's say you're, you are looking to be more compassionate, right? And you tell someone about this practice and they start reminding you how uncompassionate you are, right? I remember um, when I got this, I had, you know, this retainer deal. It was the first like really good one I ever got as a designer and I was telling my mom about it. And so every time I talked to my mom, she would harp about saving money. This could end at any time. Yet kind of negative shit that I didn't want to hear. So I'd hang up the phone. I just hang up the phone on her. And... You know, I tell like, look, I don't need help being freaked out by life. I don't need help being full of doubt. I don't need help doubting myself. I don't need help with any of this shit, right? I don't need her sprinkling her shit seeds on my dream field. Do you understand? So something else you might want to do is make a ritual out of this. Ritual is important. I believe strongly in ritual. Make this shit sacred. Um... Also, over the years, I filled these journals up. And when I look back, I've gotten the characteristics that I wanted. And having those characteristics gave me the ability to get the things that I wanted, you know, to give me the experience of life that I wanted. I've kept a lot of these mantras in circulation, so to speak. They are a part of my spiritual practice of inhabiting this body called Keith and living this birth. So um, that's it. Uh, I, I hope that it made sense as usual. I hope that I was helpful. Um, I hope it was clear. Remember, if it wasn't clear, if you don't understand, that's on me. It's not you. It's my duty to be clear and concise. So if you have any questions, please reach out, ask. Um, if you're interested in the books, the apparel, or you'd like to support this podcast through Patreon, Go to theinfinitesparkofbeing.com. Uh, you can find all the links there or obviously through the Instagram feed. Remember, um, we've known each other for lifetimes. You know, it, we are all mother, father, sister, brother, cousin, aunt, best friend. We've done it all together. So always, always feel free to reach out. We are old friends. Mm-hmm.